All right. How y'all doing? It is 6.54 p.m. 6.54 p.m. on the East Coast. And wherever you are, it's whatever time it needs to be. Tonight, we've got a great show lined up. It was going to be great uh, to begin with, and then it got even greater. I'll tell you why in a second. All right, a second has gone by. In the first half, we have Jason Burmas coming by. It's been a couple of months since we've spoken to him, and there's a, there's a lot of interesting uh, topics I'd love to bring up with him and bounce off of him. And, um, and then in the second half, I have booked us some quality time it's going to be a shorter segment than usual, but Chris Ann Hall is coming back on. I wanted to have her be a part of last night's show in the beginning to do a lightning round with all of the Supreme Court action that's going on. But tonight, I said, hey, hey, Chris Ann, what would you think about a 20 to 25 minute long um, segment in the second hour of tonight's show to do a lightning round tonight? She said, you got it. So we've got Jason Burmis in the first half. We've got Chris Ann Hall in the second half. And that is what we have. Who knows what fills all the gaps in between, but it'll be good. That's June 28th, 2023's program. Or at least all I can say about it, because the end of the night usually proves to be different from what my plan originally was. It's never exactly how I planned it. And most of the time, it's for the better, thankfully. Tomorrow is going to be a good day because it is not only the last day of the week for me. I'm taking Friday off, take care of some things, and to also just take Lauren and the baby out for some early dinner and just have a good time or something like that. It'll work out. It'll work itself out too. But tomorrow night, we've got George Norrie, Coast to Coast AM, coming on with us, and that'll be very interesting. Another great um, another great guest. I have a lot of things to ask him. We could talk to him about his career, a retrospective on Coast to Coast, the future, um, the quickening, all that. Even the future of radio as a medium. Because as you know, I love, I love radio as a technology. But as a business, um, it's, uh, you want to talk about accessible. You want to talk about technology, communications technology that's accessible. They talk about high-speed internet, all this stuff. Radio is is miraculous. You can do uh, a lot with a little right there, but it's so regulated and monopolized that I just want to talk to him about that. How can how can in the future the technology be set free, if at all? All right, so that's what we have going on for the rest of this week. And then uh, next week, we've got some good stuff in the beginning of the uh, of the week. Before and after July 4th, really great topics that have been, that have been uh, fueled by you in the audience. I think those will be nice. And we'll cover whatever kind of news might break there, too. But um, no guests until July 6th. That's Thursday, next Thursday, a week from tonight. Walter Zolna, he's a travel vlogger, and I want to talk to you about his work. As we get closer, you'll see, and he's going to be in studio. I can't wait for that. A lot of cool stuff coming your way, and, um, and yeah, let's get on with it, shall we? All right, I thank you all so much, and into the grab bag we go. Oh, before we go into the grab bag, uh, we don't have any time. We probably won't have any time for calls tonight because of Chris Ann Hall coming on in the second half, but the night that we do, the first moment that we do have time for calls it is official 
We successfully tested the Gilded chat last night for on-air calls, and the call quality is even better than Discord, and it's great. So um, that's what is, uh, we now have the 914 call-in number if you're on cell phone or anything out there, and now we have the Discord. We have a couple of lines that'll always be open. That's the international line, so if you're calling from another country, and there's first-time caller line, and then we're going to have our specialty lines coming back like we used to have with Discord, and that's gonna be great. So that we won't just be pulling from one source and now more exclusivity on the Gilded side of things for show production and oh man i feel so happy about that another thing checked off there you have it um all right all right all right into the grab bag now for real first one up is madonna she's been intubated or she was madonna intubated in icu after being found unresponsive in new york city what do you think is going on with this Madonna has been rushed to a New York City hospital after being found unresponsive, page six has exclusively revealed. The pop icon, 64 years old, was discovered at a residence on Saturday before being admitted to the ICU where she was intubated overnight. Madonna's longtime manager, Guy Osiri, shared on Instagram Wednesday that his client had developed a serious bacterial infection which led to a several day stay in the ICU. The Vogue crooner, is now out of intensive care unit and is recovering in a regular ward of the unidentified hospital. The singer's oldest daughter. I mean, would you be able to identify her anyway? You can say what hospital, what floor she's on right now. You still wouldn't be able to find her. The singer's oldest daughter, Lourdes, 26, has reportedly been by uh, by the superstar's uh, bedside throughout the entire ordeal. So, bacterial infection. That was uh, jarring to see. Madonna's in the ICU. So what could that be? Because it, you know, I mean, could be anything these days. Here's a little something interesting. Maybe Jason Burmis has covered this in some way. Malaria. There's a malaria alert now that has been issued in Florida. Why infectious mosquitoes have led to statewide concern. And everybody, uh, well, not everybody, but I've seen plenty of people thinking the same thing. How convenient that there is a malaria outbreak after however many scheduled releases of GMO and uh, you know, hybridized Bill Gates mosquitoes out there. What, what are they? What are they trying to do? What are What are those mosquitoes carrying? I know they say that they're mosquitoes. They wanted to be able to inoculate people through genetically engineered mosquitoes inoculate them against one disease or another because of course they they want us to be healthy more healthy than anybody else but this is from yahoo news and they're asking the question what's going on four people in sarasota have fallen ill with malaria and the florida department of health has issued a statewide mosquito-borne illness alert the department said this week the u.s centers for disease controls also issued an alert after the florida cases and one case in texas are the first instances of locally transmitted malaria in the u.s since 2003 so it's been a while the four people in sarasota who were ill after being bitten by infectious mosquitoes have all recovered all four patients were infected with p vivax malaria According to state health officials, it is less fatal than other species. Malaria symptoms include headaches, nausea, vomiting, sweating, fever, and chills. 
Uh, which I, I, you know, is seems like the. That seems like the symptoms for everything. But, you know, anyone experiencing these symptoms should seek medical help within 24 hours of symptoms, the state advised. The health department is urging all residents across the state to take precautions while outdoors by using bug spray, avoiding mosquito-infested areas, and wearing long pants and shirts whenever possible, especially at sunrise and evening when mosquitoes are most active. Don't I know it? Backyard in July and August and September is just demoralizing. Well, I should say deflating. It's not demoralizing. It's deflating. You just want to go out there on a nice night, but you just oh, what to do? The tiki torches don't work. The sprays, I can't stand the stickiness of the sprays. I, 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 I trim the trees. I try to clear out hedges. There's no still water back there. Matt comes by every once in a while with the cedar spray, and he, he sprays everything down. That works for about six hours. That's why I smoke so many cigars in the, uh, in the summertime, although I haven't had any yet. Every once in a while, you waft a cigar around you, and uh, you create that nice little halo, and it, uh, it actually really does help. But maybe I just got to get some good oscillating, high-powered oscillating fans for the backyard. My little patio. Maybe some oscillating fans create a little wind tunnel that those little bastards can't survive. All right, what's next? Oh, speaking of wind tunnel, <laughs> Joe Biden he is, <laughs> is making headlines today. He was seen with uh, strap marks all over his face. He had, he had impressions on his face. People don't know what was going on. Um, so what, what's, what are these marks on his face? Well, now it's made the headlines that he has begun using a CPAP machine for sleep apnea, which is nothing to be, you know, I, I have, there's people in my life that use CPAP machines. Skip used it for a while. My uncle Rob uses it now. I mean, it happens. And if you have apnea, it, it helps a lot. It gets you to sleep and you don't choke when you're, uh, when you're sleeping. This is just something else. You know, when it comes to Biden, you just, is it really CPAP? You know, he probably goes on life support every night. All right. They're just saying it's CPAP. He, he probably goes on life support every night. You know, if this guy's face can fall off in front of the entirety of the press, they can get together in the Rose Garden over there at the White House. His face can fall off. And the next day, the Associated Press will say, oh, he's just a little sunburnt and he's peeling. All right, his face can melt off in front of you. And they say, oh, no, he started using a CPAP machine last night. And no, no, CPAP has nothing to do with pap smear. I know some people are wondering. Anytime you hear pap, it's just smear or schmear. <laughs> uh, President Joe Biden has recently begun using a CPAP smear machine to try... <laughs> to treat sleep apnea the white house says after indentations from straps were seen it's probably a ball gag we're seen on both sides of his face wednesday morning you know how i got these these scars you want to know how i got these scars my cpap machine that is if he were in the new batman <laughs> oh since 2008, the president has disclosed his history with sleep apnea in thorough medical reports. He used a CPAP machine last night, which is a common for people with that history. White House spokesman Andrew Bates says, who is um, 
probably a not so distant cousin of Norman Bates. But that's that. Don't worry, everybody. Whenever you see indentations around Joe Biden's face, it's nothing to be worried about. He just he, he's just using a new piece of equipment to stay alive. All right. So let's go to our next our next uh, Joe Biden story. <laughs> it just never stops. It, let's go to our next Joe Biden story. This one is truly interesting. John Solomon called Joe Biden's secret global phone, and guess who picked up? Peter Schweitzer on Sunday dropped a bombshell. This is from the Gateway Pundit. Dropped a bombshell during an appearance on Fox News with host Maria Bartiromo. Schweitzer, the author of Secret Empires, said Joe Biden was using a secret cell phone, and it was paid for by Hunter Biden's firm. Here's a quote. What is the line of communication between Hunter Biden and his business partners and Joe Biden when he's vice president of the United States? Schweitzer asked. It is not the government phone. It's not Joe Biden's personal phone. We know from the laptop that Hunter Biden's business paid for a private phone line that Joe Biden used while he was vice president. Schweitzer continued, quote, it was from AT&T. It was $300 a month. It was a global phone where you could access somebody anywhere around the world. Peter Schweitzer said he shared the phone number and account information with people over the uh, over at the White House Oversight Committee. John Solomon on Wednesday said he called Joe Biden's secret phone, and guess who picked up? Here's a quote. One of those documents got leaked to me and had a cell phone number and Hunter Biden was paying for. That Hunter Biden was paying for. So I figured this was my chance. I've been trying to get fair comment from Hunter Biden, so I'm going to call that cell phone, John Solomon said on Real America's Voice. He continued, so I called the cell phone. And guess who picked up the phone? Joe Biden. Joe Biden, boy, was he shocked when he got uh, when he got when he picked up the phone and found out it was me. John Solomon said he hung up pretty quickly. Listen, what was turned over from the FBI? There had been some documents that law enforcement had gotten through other means. Wait, those documents got leaked to me, and it had a cell phone number that Hunter Biden was paid for. So I figured, oh, this is my chance. Maybe I can, I've been trying to get fair comment from Hunter Biden. So I'm gonna call the cell phone. So I called the cell phone and guess who picked up the phone? Oh boy. Joe Biden. Joe? Oh, Joe Biden. What? Boy, was he shocked when he got, uh, when he picked up the phone and found out it was me. He hung up pretty quickly. He's, he has no, no connection to Hunter, his son's business dealings though. If you can call it a business. Why? Again, his business dealings. Can you tell me what qualified him for those positions that he was filling? Tell us about these business dealings and how he even qualified to be there in the first place, doing business. So uh, there's from John Solomon. Uh, Biden's secret global cell phone was used to run a very lucrative international influence peddling operation that included his entire family. And we'll see where this one goes. Down the memory hole, perhaps? All right. Where else do we have? Where else are we going? Oh, you know, that's all for right now. Opening up the line. Oh, no, not opening up the lines. I'm starting off the show. Jason Berm is coming on in a few minutes, and I wanted to do a few other things before he arrives. So sit back, relax, and enjoy however you like to enjoy the most, wherever you like to enjoy, and go and help me. Bring this show to more people have ever seen it before by sharing and retweeting and all this, all those links that I put out on Twitter and Gab and Getter and uh, Telegram. All the live links are out there. If you can help me syndicate that and sneeze it out there, 
That would be wonderful. Let's go viral tonight. Be right back. Don't go anywhere. This is Max Ancaparato at 12,060 feet. You can get as high as I am by watching the Quite Frankly podcast. stand up to us, then they all might stand up. Those puny little ants outnumber us a hundred to one. And if they ever figure that out, there goes our way of life. It's not about food. It's about keeping those ants in line. That's why we're going back. Does anybody else want to stay? Let's rock! I, I I didn't read further than that, and the clip from John Solomon right there wasn't too long. It was only 27 seconds, but I guess the most obvious thing to follow up with was, did you record the call? I mean, having the number is good enough anyway, and the fact that, that it was inside all of the other obtained information from the text messages and the laptop and all that other stuff, it's, it's real. I mean, you can verify that it exists, who paid for it. But um, if I was calling a phone like that, I would definitely have it recorded. Anyway, welcome to the show. Pre-show is over. Now here we are. Remember, all the Super Chats you send in, all you got to do is send one in from now until July 3rd, and you are in the running to win the my copy of Shoeless Joe, which, if you don't want it for you, put your name into the raffle for someone you know that would enjoy it. And inside would be something you would enjoy. That is Matt's 10 tips. Count, count, countdown of 10 ways to, sub- to survive a shitty submersible um, experience in the depths of the sea. All right. So we're here, and I wanted to do... The last night we had so much stuff going on. It was a matter of where we were going to... How was I going to spend the time? And I did not want to really crowd the whole sexual revolution talk because, as you can see, it was a big one. From the threads that we had to the J.D. Unwin um, studies from the early 20th century and then the big picture questions and all the answers you gave me over the phone and otherwise, I didn't want to crowd that. But one of the bigger things that was going on in the news yesterday were these tapes of Donald Trump uh, supposedly told, I don't know who recorded it, I mean, that's another question I haven't seen answered anywhere. Perhaps it has been answered by now, but that was my biggest question. These tapes of him shuffling through papers and and uh, and being around staff and, and talking about how um, Mark Milley was pretty much planning, was planning, um, I don't know, 
uh, confrontations or ways to really uh, screw up peacetime between the United States and Iran, if there ever is. I mean, I guess it's peaceful compared to what it could be. Anyhow, this has been made into proof positive that Donald Trump was a traitor who show has, has been uh, showing off documents and classified materials that he did not have any right of, of, of handling and all that other shit. And I didn't want to I didn't want to butt in on any of the stuff that we had going on last night because it was a wonderful call, uh, a wonderful time, a wonderful episode. But uh, here is a great summary of thoughts, at least, by War Clandestine on Twitter that I really liked. And I want to go through with it. I want to go through it with you. Here it is. So War Clandestine says, all right, let's break down the leaked Trump audio. There's a lot to go over here. DOJ leaked it highly illegal. So that's the first thing I was wondering. Did the, the Department of Justice leak this to, again, once again, CNN and the media? This is what they do. And usually when this happens, I start saying to myself, well, no serious lawman or woman is going to put all of the evidence that they're going to need to be untainted inside of a courtroom out on the airwaves unless they really don't think they're going to be able to take down whoever they're targeting and are instead just, as always, dragging people they don't like through the muddy waters of the court of public opinion and smearing them to death or trying to. So that's the first thing I was thinking about. A, who leaked it? Actually, A, who recorded it? B, who leaked it? And um, and yeah, the illeg- the illegality or legality of that move, and what that even says about about how secure their hopes for taking, in this case, Donald Trump down in a in a courtroom setting in the next year or so. Number two, clandestine says all the documents that Trump took were already declassified and legally his property. Number three, uh, Mark Milley created a contingency to attack Iran when Trump backed out of Obama's Iran deal. So that's what went on in in just the the cliff notes of what's going on there. Now, of course, the other thing that popped up for me as I'm reading through this and listening to it all, and I don't know what the hell's being said, and I, I'm not really looking into it because I just expect this stuff to go on, and I expect this stuff to go away. I, I, I expect it to be gone out of our out of our collective consciousness over the course of the uh, week or two that follows. So, but, you know, I, I am thinking, it's Mark Milley, the fact that they're using this tape, whatever the hell's being recorded here, the ruffling of papers and, you know, voices talking back about people like Mark Milley, and this is about how oh, Donald Trump is a traitor. He had a conversation with somebody, and he may have, he may have uh, you know, talked about things he's seen and thing, uh, whatever. Um... I started thinking about Mark Milley, the traitor, who was so brazen, just like so many of them, as to be public about his going to a supposed enemy state, China, and assuring their leadership that if his commander-in-chief gave them an order to start bombing China or going after them militarily, that he would disobey it. Don't worry, we're going to get through this together. I'm, he, I mean, you want to talk about treason. Now, there, there is no 
plan in place and no reason why Donald Trump this was during that time during the the transition and the fight over the legitimacy of the election the real heat of it all that uh, they needed this to look like Donald Trump he had lost legitimately but he's really really struggling with the loss and he's he may be willing to take the whole world down with him if he's not allowed four more years in office okay so it's the, it's the Vladimir Putin play right now he's 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 in the wrong he's desperate and he might do something stupid so he goes off and he puts, first Millie goes off and puts words and ideas in, uh, in Trump's mind about going after China militarily just to be able to say, but don't worry, I'm not going to listen to my commander in chief. So he committed treason in a completely fantasy scenario, but it's treason nonetheless, because what, what end is somebody like Mark Milley really working toward, you know? So I, I love how that gets kind of overlooked in the, in the shuffle here of this tape. Another tape. Um, War Clandestine goes on to say the following. Firstly, notice how Democrats always claim they care so much about the integrity of the law and respect the secrecy of ongoing investigations, yet they have been leaking anything and everything that benefits them since 2016. Not a single official in the Biden regime will utter a syllable about Hunter Biden due to the, quote, ongoing investigation. But the FBI won't reveal anything to the American people under the guise of sources and methods. Uh, but all, all throughout the, uh, the Mueller investigation, the Mar-a-Lago raid, Manhattan DA, etc., leaks on top of leaks on top of leaks. People forget this is illegal, yet our corrupt DOJ and FBI do it all the time without consequence and only to the detriment of Trump and never the other way around. Secondly, Trump's documents were already declassified. The documents belong to him legally via the Presidential Records Act. And while the media are in a wild frenzy over this audio of Trump sharing the docs with his aides, they completely ignore that Joe Biden's aides and lawyers are the ones who allegedly found all of Biden's stolen classified documents at UPenn. The only difference is Trump was the president of the United States. Biden did this when he was VP. One is legal, one is not. Yet the mainstream media and the left are foaming at the mouth over Trump's legal handling of documents and completely fine with Joe Biden's illegal handling of documents. Lastly, and arguably most importantly, Trump legally held on to documents that prove corruption of the deep state, in this case, Mark Milley, planning a contingency to assault Iran when Trump pulled out of Obama's catastrophic Iran deal. While the left-wing propagandists, with help of the DOJ FBI leakers, are trying to leverage the story to be a negative for Trump, they are conveniently ignoring the massive story exposing the deep state plans to invade another Middle East country, uh, with which they later blamed it all on Trump. This audio leak shows the many levers of the deep state working in unison to once again go after Trump. The DOJ FBI leak information they gather from an ongoing informa- uh, investigation. The mainstream use it to smear Trump, rinse and repeat. So when the DOJ FBI illegally leaks information painting Trump, or I guess, or anybody negatively, that's fine. But when Trump shuffles through declassified documents he owns legally in private with his aides, that's worse than 9-11 and Pearl Harbor combined. And that's just, um, that's a good summary of it. And I'm glad I didn't do it last night because it would have really um, eaten up a lot of time in what would have otherwise been a very focused show, and it was. And it took less than 24 hours before 
cooler heads prevail and we really just start understanding oh oh okay all right same old shit and when you think about this coolly why are the leak why the leaks why especially if you're doing something legitimate in an investigative uh environment if it's all legitimate why the leaks that's what i don't get now in the second half of the show tonight in the second half of the show this evening, we are going to have Chris Ann Hall coming on. And the first thing we want to talk about is the Supreme Court rejecting controversial Trump-backed election law theory. I will say right now, I do not know too much about this story just yet. But what I did notice is coordinated messaging. And the coordinating messaging is election law theory. They're saying theory a lot. It's Trump-backed. It's far right-wing. It's all that other. I, so I, I would like to just get down to the nitty-gritty and um, and have Chris Ann Hall just shore this up for us. Because aside from that, aside from that, we have more major decisions. I want to ask about the affirmative action real quick. LGBTQ rights, another one of those Colorado business situations Sunday work at USPS what the hell is that there's a lot on the docket she warned me there's a lot there are you sure we're gonna have enough time I said well let's just get to some let's bounce around and then whatever the more important ones you think we can do or we should do then you know pull us in that direction student loans voting rights act Indian child welfare act independent state legislature theory see Here's another one. Here it is. It just pops up all over the place. Independent state legislature theory. So it is a theory that is being proven. It's not a case that's being tried. That's that's what I that's what I don't understand about this. And I, I'm hoping that we'll be able to get get that done and uh, and over with. Now tonight. Also, with with uh, Jason Burmas coming on, who will be popping in any second now, I totally missed this. And it's from almost two weeks ago now. Second shooter. They say there might be a second shooter behind John Lennon's murder. New evidence reveals bullets from two different guns were pulled from Beatles legend's body in autopsy. Author David Whalen says two kinds of bullets were used to kill John Lennon. He thinks this bolsters his theory that a second shooter was involved in the killing. Now, this is going to be um this is going to be something that I'm bringing up. I'm going to be bringing up with several guests. I mean, I may I may bring it up not I mean, not tomorrow. Not tomorrow with uh with George Norrie, but I may bring it up with um with Don Jeffries when he comes on. He has a new book about COVID. We're going to bring him on on July 10th, I believe. But I do have to talk to him about this because I've talked to him about RFK. I've talked to him about um, uh, John Kennedy Jr. We've done all that stuff. So when it comes to assassinations and all of a sudden new information that comes out that uh, and then RFK Jr. has been going nuts with assassination talk. I can talk about all that stuff with this guy right here, though. Jason Burmis joins us, and I, I can't wait to get down and hit the... Uh, Hit the ground running. What's going on, Jason? How you doing, brother? Oh, I'm doing all right. Everything well in your world? Everything is well in my world, man. Um, you know, it's uh, been a, a lovely week. 
I've been going on dog walks, trying to trim down a little bit. We got a little soft over the last few years, I got to tell you. And, um, you know, I'm one of those guys that truly believes that the real way to happiness is to take charge of your own life and uh, do the things that are really important, not only connect with other people, but to connect with nature. So it's been a really uh, great week leading into the summer. It's hot out there, but uh, me and the Doggins taking walk-ins, doing a morning show, doing an evening show, keeping busy, doing shows like yours. I I couldn't uh, be more blessed. It is a great thing. It's a great great schedule. It's great to be able to do um, all the things that balance it out. I mean, whatever somebody does out there, you you have you the first priority is finding a way to balance it out we all work in one in one way shape or another but the human experience is is something that we need to always keep in mind and to know that it is fleeting it is fleeting especially youth and the functionality of youth but hey you know where are, where are you right um are you experiencing a second round of canadian forest smoke right now because i heard that's coming to new york any day so first round i didn't get that first round at all right in fact I think the last time this happened, we were talking, and it happened. It had just been going on in New York. Um, my brother lives in upstate New York. He experienced it literally yesterday when I did my walk and talk. It was the first day I'd experienced. It's almost gone today. Like the, I can actually see the blue sky. Uh, but yesterday, out of nowhere, it was just. It was uh, the only way I can describe it is it wasn't a thick fog, but a persistent type of fog, mm-hmm. right? So. You could see in front of you, but if you go watch my video uh, yesterday where I uh, talk about how Alan Dershowitz walked out on me. Um, <laughs> wait, 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 wait. He walked out on you or you confronted him somewhere? So, Frank, just the, I know we're going to talk about assassinations and John Lennon, and but let's have some fun, huh? Okay, yeah, yeah. It's one of the very cool things about this whole gig and life and, and where it leads. So around the same time the last time we talked a few weeks ago, you were gracious enough to do uh, the premium broadcast. I love that. We're going to be putting that out for free, actually, this week so people can check it out. Um, we were uh, discussing basically how uh, I you know, have this new show, MSOM. I do Making Sense of the Madness, and I did a show with Grand Theft World. Are you aware of Richard Andrew Grove? No, but Grand Theft World sounds familiar. Grand Theft World is run by Richard Andrew Grove, and... Um, you know, he's got another partner on there, but they run like a seven hour podcast once a week. It's like the best way I can describe it is it's kind of like hardcore history with video and commentary of today's events as well, with a lot of context uh, from academia. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's an excellent show. I've known Richard Andrew Grove forever. And that's how, number one, I got this uh, David Whelan story we're going to talk about with John Lennon. So. I was on that show after he had also he was also my premium guest. I do two a week, everybody, just so everybody knows they want to support the broadcast. You get two awesome interviews. And we were talking about John Lennon, and all of a sudden, uh, he brought up like he had been shot from a different angle or something. And then, and he said something really quick, and I was like, wait, what? I wasn't aware of any of this, right? And you know, obviously I thought there was issues with it. Mark David Chapman, I really didn't know how uh deep the rabbit hole went. So lo and behold, he talks about uh, David Whelan and what he's saying. Still, uh, just kind of in passing. Two weeks later, there's an article in the Daily Mail that is discussing how two different types of bullets were apparently pulled out of them. Whelan had gotten all these documents from the original New York City NYPD investigator into it. He bought all of them, okay? And he published this, so I did the story. 
Whelan saw that I did the story, and then he contacted me. We ended up doing an hour, and then we'll focus on that in a moment. Same show. I went off on a tirade about Alan Dershowitz and his conservative media tour, right? Mm-hmm. You see Dershowitz everywhere. I am no fan of Alan Dershowitz. And this was, I believe it was on the 28th of uh, May, so a month ago today. Over the weekend, I was looking at the guests that were booked for Making Sense of the Madness, and I don't book my guests for that. I'm the host, okay? So I see I have Alan Dershowitz on the show. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So I've got a big moral conundrum. I mean, it's actually funny because uh, on Wednesdays, I do a double record of the show. So we record for tonight. It's actually airing, or it just aired. It airs at 6 p.m. Monday through Friday. And... So (laughs) Dershowitz is on and we're getting him ready technologically. We're going to talk about his book. I'm extremely torn. And then don't, I talk to my audience about it because at one end of it, like I've got this new job, it's a huge guest and it's a big opportunity to have a real conversation with somebody that, you know, got Epstein off. Let's let at bare minimum, no matter what you think about the guy, he got Epstein off. Now on the other side of that, uh, other things I had planned to talk to him about were, um, that he worked on WikiLeaks and Assange all the way back in 2010 and 2011. He was part of that law team. Uh, he also is one of the few people in academia, again, love him or hate him, that has spoke up for Assange recently and called for charges to be dropped, him to be pardoned and released, okay? Mm-hmm. So, again, I had him for 30 minutes, 30 minutes, but very torn. I lost sleep the night before, Frank. I mean, go watch my tirade in the second hour of the program from the morning today because I played this uh, interview because I I went on his show the next night, and that's where I went on this tirade. And I literally got one line in before we cut to what is the the opening credits, and he, he threw his hands up and he walked out, according to my producer, and I have the video. I've not played it anywhere. What, I'm not what sure was I the can. one line? What, what 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 was the one line? It had to be bad that he he said I'm out of here. It what I you know what maybe I could play the audio in the background for your audience. I I, I will. I think I can do that. Okay. I don't want to play the video. Um, I, I'd love yeah. to hear it. <laughs> I, we're gonna do it for you. Why not? Right? Okay. Yeah. Let's, let's hear it. Let's do it. Let's find it right now. Hold on. Give me a second, folks. Um, let's see. While you're looking for it, I got I got to tell you. After this, you have to tell me. I I know that we we have more and even more important matters to get into, but I got to know how excited you were when you read that two of your favorite people, Mark Zuckerberg and Elon Musk, may be facing off in the octagon. And mm-hmm. uh, all they need to do is ask Conor McGregor to officiate, and I, I'm sure you'll die happy after that. It's we will we'll get into all the okay. MMA and the fun. Here here it comes, everybody. So. Listen to it for yourself. First time this audio has been released anywhere. I don't hear anything yet. Here comes. Five, okay. four, three, two, and one. Welcome to Making Sense of the Madness. I am Jason Burmis, and buckle up for what might be the most interesting show I've ever done. Notorious lawyer Alan Dershowitz is here to talk about his new book, Get Trump. And we've got Nate Lewis of rrescue.org after this. So by that moment, he had thrown it up. I referred to him as a notorious lawyer, and he took great offense to that. Notorious? That was it? That was it, man. 
That was it. Wow. And I got to tell you, like, I had thought about other words. I thought about infamous. I thought that had more of a negative connotation. I'll be quite honest with you. I didn't think notorious necessarily had a negative connotation until I went back and I looked at the actual definition. I thought it was of note or, uh, you know, notoriety. And, you know, a somewhat controversial maybe, but, like, if Alan Dershowitz isn't somewhat controversial, I don't know what we're talking about here. Um, so, yeah, man. It's unfortunate because I think we could have had a great conversation, but he didn't even give me by the by the moment that the credits roll right there, he's gone. So then, what, I mean, that must have been that must have been really awkward for you at that moment. Is that all live or you're you're pre-recording? So we record live to tape. So in other words, I I, I in front of me, I see what's go- going on. Like first of all, I still produce my own show, so I'm looking into a camera, looking at me, right? Mm-hmm. Up on one of these monitors, I have the scene and what it looks like for the show. So I don't know he's even gone. I go on for another minute and a half (laughs) where I'm talking to nobody. And then uh, basically when it comes out to the, you know, the the black box with Dershowitz, he's not there. And they, he was having technical issues and they like my my producer guy, the guy who runs the show, he thought, you know, he was going to be back and that it was just something technical. And, you know, he'd messed up with his phone again. Dude, honestly, if, if you think about it, though, knowing you as an interview, knowing where your interests lie and how you get down uh, with your work and, and the depths you like to go to, if he couldn't handle the, the word notorious, what could you possibly have spoken to him about over the course of a half hour? Well, again, man, you know, I had a plan. I'll be honest, because, like, I'm not – look, I t- you know you know that I take this very seriously. Yeah. I'm a smiley guy. I'm a happy guy. I like to add humor to everything, but at the end of the day, this this shit is as real as it gets, okay? I haven't dedicated my life to this uh, because I don't believe it, right? For for instance, I just tweeted out because somebody posted Kissinger and Schwab talking about constructing a quote-unquote new world order. I'm like, hey, remember that time I like actually defined a new world order back in 2010 with Invisible Empire? I mean, I did that, and I'm warning people then. I'm still warning people now because we're in a next phase. We're already somewhat inside the quote-unquote new world order. It wasn't like they were just going to stamp down with a flag. Hmm. I mean, the the fact that all these Western nations and even second world nations, many times third world nations, because they're all already at the heel of a United Nations, a World Health Organization, et cetera, with these treaties, we've already given it up. We've already given up so much to the Federal Reserve, the International Monetary Fund, the World Bank, all these things. We're here. So, you know, I I was going to go into it. First of all, his new book is Get Trump. And obviously, we've had this discussion. I don't stump for Trump, but Russia was a witch hunt and total bullshit. This documents thing is the same thing. The impeachments were horse pucky. All right, they were Johnny nonsense. And he was on... Trump's legal team for Ukraine. Now, again, for years, I have said that was one of the many, other than his action with Assange, why in the hell would you hire Alan Dershowitz? It was an open and shut case. I get it. He's a great lawyer. There's no doubt about that. But did you really need a great lawyer, especially for the perfect phone call one? So I was going to talk to him about, you know, him working with the Trump campaign, um, the impeachment, Mm -hmm. the Russia hoax. Then we were going to get, in my mind, we were going to get into the current case, the Espionage Act. And um, basically, I was going. I, I asked a lot of my guests there, because a lot of them are very pro-Trump, uh, if you watch this show. I mean, this is a pretty conservative network. AMP News is where you can find it. Um, and I always say, hey, isn't it kind of ironic, though, 
that Donald Trump failed to pardon or drop the charges of Assange and let the Justice Department go after him. And they charged him with the Espionage Act. And now Trump is charged with the Espionage Act. See how that works? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, and most, I'll, I'll, I'll say this. Most of the guests that I have on that are pro-Trump do not fail to see the irony in that. They get it. You know what I mean? And that's, and that's the thing. If you are for this guy, if you do like this guy, we have to hold him accountable for what matters. Not only for us, but look what happened to him. Exactly. See, yeah. That's what he doesn't get, I don't think. And that's what other people don't get. I'm not just talking about our interests because they're his interests as well. <laughs> and his interests should be our interests. It should be this circular thing of checks and balances like we, we used to have. Now we have a weaponized justice system, and that's not lost on me. But you had an opportunity to throw an even bigger monkey wrench in that system. You let your ego get in the way. And because he didn't want to come out and tell everybody it wasn't Russia, Russia, Russia that gave him the emails and give up his sources and basically end his life as a media organization of any repute, he's suffering in Belmarsh prison and Trump's ego was stroked to the tune of he's probably going to prison for this. So, you know, I think that we could have had a really good conversation there. I don't really know Alan's take on this current case, whether he thinks it's legitimate, whether he thinks he's gonna go to jail or not, we could have sparred there. And quite frankly, I, I was going to leave Epstein off the table the entire time until the final, you know, I had him up for 30 minutes, and the final question and pose it in the manner, you know, finally, sir, there are a lot of cases now in the U.S. Virgin Islands where banks are paying out regarding to Epstein. It's been reported in the news that one of your clients, Les Wexner, has been avoiding subpoenas. Is this true? And can you comment on it? That was his, uh, you know, I mean. That's pretty responsible, yeah. Maybe that's daggers. But I'm hand to God, everybody. That, if you know me, that's what was running through my brain the entire time. And I'll I'll say this, you know, man, I usually don't get nervous when I do these things. And I wouldn't even call it nerves. Uh, I don't usually get an adrenaline rush when I do these type of things. Even when I, you know, I, I meet people that I really admire their work. You know, I had a serious... What you heard right there, I had a serious adrenaline rush come over me. And, and you know, it's, it's, it's odd because the second half of the show was with the uh, rrescue.org organization. Are you aware of them? Oh, yeah. I want to ask you some questions about that. We'll go there next. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, you know, we've been having them on. In fact, uh, last night they were a guest. Tonight they're going to have uh, – we had guests on from that. And then on Friday as, as well be – you know, it's a three-panel, just rescue.org. okay? I find it a little bit conflicting on top of what I just discussed to the fact that we're talking to an organization that rescues kids, mm-hmm. right, yep. in the same episode. And and that irony wasn't lost on me either. And I re- – look, man, I do what I can. Uh, m- more than not, I try to bring information people haven't seen. I like to have intelligent commentary. I love the documentary film thing, but like my show and presentations, they're like mini docs at times, right? I do get in the street every once in a while. These people actually rescue children. I want to help them. That's something we should all want to do and have our part in, period. And to me, they're, I mean, just a huge, huge conundrum there. And why would you even book those? Fox News did something similar with Dershowitz and actually had to apologize for it. <laughs> for, you know, uh, the can, fact that it was pretty inconsiderate to have, I think it was on Hannity or something like that. Yeah. So, you know, um, the Caviezel film, 
uh, coming out July 4th. And now I've talked to not only people on the inside that have rescued children, uh, not only people that were inside the intelligence community and law enforcement, but people that work with these victims after the fact. And uh, I believe it's going to be on Friday's show, but speaking with Tyler Schwab, you know, he discussed how, you know, the oldest person that they're dealing with, I think he said was like 82 years old. Okay. Basically had a life of this stuff where they were exploited and, you know, they're helping them get their lives better. The youngest 19 months, Frank. Exactly. So, like, for me, man. <laughs> I was watching. I'll tell you, uh, Jason, uh, last night I was um, because I. We've been, we've been, I've been working every connection I've got to get the Jim Caviezel, just to be able to get myself on the radar for whenever the day comes where the stars align and I'm able to talk to him for a half hour. But um, what we were able to do was get a a couple of really, I mean, we secured ourselves a couple of plays, digital plays of the the preview, uh, the preview screener for Sounds of Freedom, and I watched it again last night, and I, I got to tell you. I know it's um, it's it's dramatized, but there is not there's something so much there's something so serious driving this this film, and you can tell everybody involved, everybody involved is just. Have you seen it yet? I haven't, man. And now I've talked to so many people that have been involved. You know, Matt Osborne, the quote unquote Batman, who's actually portrayed as somebody uh, in there. You know, I got to talk to him, and and this one's already available, so people want to check it out it's out there you know this is a guy that worked for the cartel and he's talking about you know basically working for the cartel so casually and the set of rules and really how it's almost like corporate organized and i think that's lost on a lot of people and i think it was lost on him in a lot of ways of the morality of the situation and exactly what he was running now you know he talked about how the vast majority at least at the time uh, of the cartel they were running women in this district where there were like a thousand women but they were of age right it wasn't until he had his epiphany that he went to an orphanage in the area that was basically all these k- kids of these prostitutes right that had been abandoned and were there and when he realized that they were also being trafficked and they were also being abused he had a turning point he's like i can't believe that this is happening on such a large scale in an institution like this that's supposed to be helping children. And again, when you hear that, when you hear about uh, Tara Rodas, I had her on the program today. I believe that one is actually just aired. So people can check that out tonight if they like. And this is the human health and services whistleblower that is in another agency for 17 plus years. They send her to talk to these migrant children that have come across the border and when and within two weeks of her investigation she starts realizing that these kids are being brought over by people that are not their parents mm-hmm. that they don't know at all some of them don't even speak english or spanish okay they actually have a, even a mayan dialectic and she realizes that they're being trafficked not only for sex but labor as well and she blows the whistle she actually gets in front of the house judiciary committee you know and we played some of her testimony and she taught, I mean, you could tell in her voice. She's like, I had no idea. She, you know, I wasn't even supposed to do this. And they came after me immediately. They had me clean out my desk immediately. And right now she's in the process of um, talking to two more people within the system that are, you know, thinking about coming forward as well. 
because they can't deal with it. They they can't deal with being a, a, a legitimate part, like literally part of the problem, part of the organizations that are trafficking in children as the middlemen. I mean, that's what this was all about. So it's not a conspiracy theory. Um, this is real. Real people are being affected. And just like you said, it's important to realize that we live in a society that gravitates towards fiction, unfortunately, or fictionalized events. And the things that culturally stick with us um, are things like films and TV shows. So look, documentaries are great. They're an awesome tool. That's why I do them. I prefer them, right? I'm not everybody. I also understand the power of a film. You know, we talk about Jim Caviezel. I'm one of those guys that actually went and saw The Passion of the Christ in the theaters. Me too. I did too. Yeah, I was part of that phenomenon. And it wasn't because I was particularly religious at the time. Um, it was because obviously um, the story of Jesus is one of the most famous, and so is his crucifixion. And Mel Gibson at the time not only was a famous actor, but had made some pretty damn good movies. <laughs> he made some pretty damn good movies. It wasn't his first movie. And you're like, all right, well, let's check it out. And it was, it's something that I've probably only seen it once all the way through, maybe a, a second time. It was on the background somewhere. It still burned into my skull. Right? I burned into my. Skull. I gotta say this: the, the same thing is well. First of all, the fact that Jim Caviezel, I mean, his face is—it's forever, it's ever interchangeable with Jesus now for me. And I know he probably doesn't want to. He, he probably understands that. That's just that's when you take on that role in two thousand three or four or whatever it was. That it's just you know you understand that this is going to be something you carry with you for the rest of your life. And you know I don't look at him as. Jesus Christ, but the fact that there, you know, there was something there, and I know from everything we've learned about the the man himself, that role has changed him for a lifetime. And this movie, Sound of Freedom, um, you know, there are movie, you know, documentaries. You think about all the Al Gore ridiculousness with climate change. You think about every other kind of movie out there that pushes some kind of an activist message in there. This is so far; it is not even near anything that could be considered activism. It is full of heart. It is a hundred percent human, but it is the urgency in this film. I mean, there is there is a a sinking weight of urgency. In this film that that it that, that stays with you and it has nothing to do with a narrative that was concocted in some kind of a uh, a writer's room in 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 San Diego somewhere there is um, this is a, a wonderfully crafted telling of an urgent tale a situation we have going on right now that needs everybody's it should be the only care we only cause that we care about at least for now because if if we don't save children what the hell are we and it's um, that's all I would say about this film. I'm I'm going to donate at the end of the film. It asks people to pay it forward and and buy tickets for people who don't have the money just to get people in theaters. And I'm definitely going to be doing that. I, I it's that important, I believe. No, and it's awesome, man. I, and what I've been saying over the past uh, several episodes with these people is it's not just about the movie. It's about making it a movement, right? We want people to understand that as wild as some of this stuff actually sounds, as dark as some of this is to confront, we have to, right? That these are kids. I mean, if we can't stand up for our children and realize that's not a partisan issue, it's not Republican or Democrat or left or right, uh, if we can't stand up for humanity, we're kind of doomed as a species, and I, and I don't want to be part of that, right? So what I like about this movie 
is number one, it's going old school. It's doing it grassroots, like you said. It's letting people pay it forward. Uh, the pre-sale tickets have been through the roof so far. And from what I understand, what they're telling me, um, if, if you were to do like $7 a ticket, and I'm not sure um, what they're charging, but this could be a, a 70 plus million dollar, maybe even a hundred million dollar opening just through grassroots, just through the theaters that they've acquired, et cetera. And I'm, I'm calling on people to work with Angel Studios who will work with you, with the mom and pop shops out there that aren't the big cineplexes, you know, all these different establishments. Uh, we can try to get them a little later. Let's get the momentum on this film. Imagine this film does 150, 200 million and just can't be ignored. That's a big deal. That's huge. You know, the, the media is going to try to ignore this as much as possible. And let me say it like this, Frank. You know, the media did a hard push for that recent Flash movie. Now, it might be the best damn DC movie of all time. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't see it. Right, but it was all over the place. They're pushing the multiverse, but most of all, they're pushing the lead actor as a person who is quote unquote non binary in the art world, has accusations and charges against him that stem with him running away with a teenage girl, grabbing guns and a bulletproof vest, uh, robbing people. And aside from that, also allegations of trying to have inappropriate relations with a non-binary 12-year-old boy. Just saying. They have no problem pushing that out. Guess what? Opening weekend at $54 million. Nothing. Nothing. Like, like that's nothing anymore, especially when we're talking about Blockbuster. So that's a big failure. You know, a 200-plus million budget, and they probably stacked another $100 million on the advertising at the end. That shows you that we're in this post-truth world where more than ever, the authoritative sources, the people that know better, are trying to project a reality that is not there. We have to push back against that quote-unquote great narrative. We can't continue to allow ourselves to be bullied to the point where they're normalizing pedophilia. It's just not cool. <laughs> like, it's beyond not cool. And again, man, when, when you talk to these people, and you talk to what they have seen firsthand. This are, these aren't UFO whistleblowers, everybody, that are going, I know somebody who knows somebody that saw an alien body. No, these guys rescue real children in real dark situations. You know, one of the things I had a discussion with Nate Lewis about is kind of how people also shut off when they hear about the occult or satanic uh, ritualistic abuse of children mm -hmm. and that that just cannot be the case. And, and Nate said, look, man, I, I get that, and I probably would have been one of those people. He's like, the bottom line, you know, all this is hocus-pocus. It's not real. But what people don't understand, that in other countries, it's culturally accepted, for instance, if you want to go to your witch doctor and bless your new business that you're opening, and you're a businessman, you can have a boy castrated as part of a ritual for good luck. Like, that's a thing. He's like, and it only gets darker from there, if you can imagine that, Frank. Hmm. And exactly, right? And he, he goes, you know, this stuff is industrialized. And and mostly what's driving the uh, witch doctor himself isn't his, you know, belief in Satanism or the occult. It's greed. It's money. It's the, it's the grift on the other people that think that's going to benefit them somehow. 
Well, and, I, I, I you know it, it's a real thing, dude. I I would say that it is not all hocus pocus. That's my uh, that's my um, belief there, and what I have seen, and what what I'm what I'm uh, I've got myself invested in study i don't i don't believe it is hocus pocus i think that i think that you can divorce yourself from belief in the many layers to our reality and what we are just a a little fragment uh of and and how it all works through us and in us and 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 how it interacts with us the other the other um the other aspects of our of our of our existence here both here and the hereafter but i I think that we have been so, you know, pulled away from the understanding of what what the the entirety of the situation is of life and the spirit world and all that that um perhaps the the hocus pocus is, you know, oh that's nothing, that's nothing. And when you don't believe in anything, you can fall for anything and and um and then maybe you also miss clues here. I mean, the the it's there's I don't know. There's just, there's so much, and I think for as awesome as it is for people like like Nate of Operation Underground Railroad, there needs to be a a bigger expansion of of really exactly what is going on outside of the the physical vampirism that's going on. There's there's something else that's being harvested here, and you know what? I, I think that's another thing that came up for me when I was watching Sounds of Freedom. It is the resiliency of children. Even when they are in a situation that they are being brutalized ad nauseum every day, because it starts off. I'm not going to give the 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 um, the, the movie away, but uh, in the beginning it starts off with a little girl who is who is playing and singing in her bed, happy, joyous, loves to sing, all that, and then at the end of her journey, when she finally gets back home, she's there again, and she picks up her drum and she gets herself to sing again and that is the kind of that's the kind of spirit i believe that the resiliency of children there's something there energetically there's a life force that that we have is just so vibrant in the beginning of our lives before adulthood starts chipping away at us with the nihilism and with the uh, the questioning and the belief oh, there's nothing but belief there's nothing but hope when you're a child and i think that um i think that the the act of abusing a kid like that is so far beyond just the physical it is definitely a spiritual assault and uh, and it's ritualistic in its own in its own own way because it's it's a spiritual attack first and foremost and then the physical is just as horrific well, I, I would have to agree with you, man. I, throughout this whole journey, first of all, you know, I don't preach to people to tell them what to believe, right? I would tell you that obviously the vast majority, if not all these people that work at rrescue.org end up being Christians. You know, they see the darkest of the dark. They believe in good and evil. And that's where I'm at. I know good and evil exist. Everything isn't like a sliding scale of societal mores. I'm sorry. That's not a reality. That we have an instinctual uh, nature to protect children and one another from harm, right? And we understand when harm is coming. And, and unfortunately, they, you know, we can talk about nature versus nurture, but naturally there is evil, there is darkness. There are people out there that are sociopathic, psychopathic, and they truly cannot help it. They are serial abusers. And uh, one of the other things that I focused on with these guys is is putting those people away for life mm. and and how we need to treat this with more accountability not less and how they really try 
uh, by working, you know, not in a vigilante style, but through local law enforcement or uh, the nation's intelligence, et cetera, to get these people the maximum sentences possible, Frank. I uh, d- d- we can go on with this for forever and ever. I'm I'm so happy that we got around to talking about this by way of and a story about Alan Dershowitz that I did not. Ex- <laughs> we got an exclusive tonight, and it just led from one thing to the next. And I I that that was fantastic. I want to get um because we have a maybe about ten fifteen minutes left here, and I want to do a little bit of a war report with you as well because when we talk about big transitions in the world and the wars that are being fought and even human trafficking and everything there's nothing there's there's no way that you can stop uh, or exclude what's going on in places like Ukraine from that conversation as far as big picture goes now i know that you just did a little bit on this not too long ago and um with the Wagner or Wagner. I've been saying it Wagner the whole time. Apparently, I'm uncultured. It should have been Wagner. But um, the situation in Ukraine right now, because of the PSYOP theory variations that are so plentiful, and many of them are plausible, but what have you learned from your digs and your interviews that you've conducted on this? What, what, can, you, what can be gleaned from the last weekend's activities out there of the afternoon coup? Yeah, lo- love it, man, because... I was pretty adamant when I was watching this thing, and I was getting texts immediately as it was happening uh, from a buddy of mine who I've known, another alternative media guy. He's actually got his own news organization. I'm not going to out him right now. Um, But he was texting me. At first, I got these weird texts. I didn't know what they meant, right? And then all of a sudden, the pictures came through. There was like five pictures, and they were tanks, and it was what was going on in Rostov. And I'm like, okay. Oh, you know, so right away, I go to social media. It's within the first hour of everything. And then I just kind of backed off, man. I, I saw what was being said in the media. I didn't rush to be first, right? It's already my weekend. I'm already doing two hours a day, four days a week. I do two other interviews. That's 10 hours on that show. Then I do another five hours on the other show. And, I, you know, I've had enough. But at the same time, I'm keeping an eye on it. And I, and I need people, um, you know, who... I would say I wanted to go to my my academic friend who's on his way to a PhD, who's younger like myself, and I respect his opinion. So Stuart J. Hooper, uh, I get on. Now, before that, on my other show, I, I get um, Chris Paul, who I believe uh, works with uh, Badlands Media. He has the Be Reasonable podcast. Yeah. They're, yeah, they're pretty pro-Trump, you know what I mean? And he goes full, he thinks the whole thing's fake. And I said, well, you know, bloodless coup, uh, not a coup. Uh, just the fact that nobody died in this situation. Very, very odd. Uh, I understand where he's coming from, but obviously I didn't take that position either. I thought there was something more. I- instead, I would say uh, there's little bits and pieces of it right now out there over on Twitter that this guy got a little too big for his britches. It- it's funny because the other theories out there, other than the whole thing was staged, right? Because people are looking at people in the town square. They can't believe, you know, no one's dying. I don't think that people really understand, though, kind of like the culture there and all these other things where their military is much more visual and the the Wagner group is almost viewed as another part of their military. So I did an hour with Stuart J. Hooper to kind of talk about the culture and what he thinks happened, and I'm with him on this. First of all, I don't think it was a CIA or MI6 run operation at all. I don't think that they infiltrated and flipped him. Um, If you look at the history of this guy in this group, I, I think that, you know, he is a big talker and his troops were killed. Now, if the CIA was at all involved, 
the only pot and we actually had this discussion if we were going to say anything perhaps they ran a fog of war operation killed wagner's troops and made it look like um the russians had done it because that was what um Prigozhin was saying basically that a bunch of his troops had been killed by the Russian military and targeted and that's why he was on the march yeah so if any kind of CIA involvement or intelligence involvement or black ops that's where I would think it would have been now you had them take Rustov you know they had I think it was the deputy um, secretary of defense there so basically the number two guy uh, who is not well liked in the country again no one had to be killed but he's taken. And then they talk about going to Moscow, 600 miles. Now, they get over, they get within 100 and I think 60 miles of Moscow before some deal is cut. And just the fact that nobody did die, everybody's still giving interviews. Uh, Putin doesn't look good in this, right? Uh, I, there are some people trying to spin it like Putin looks more powerful. To me, it looks like he locked down or fled, that he almost had a mutiny inside of his own military, uh, a lot of these guys are former Russian soldiers. They're just being paid better. Uh, another large portion of these people are also former prisoners that have been guaranteed to be pardoned uh, from their hardened crimes if they serve and survive, right? So, you know, these are the real deal guys. I don't necessarily think that they would take Moscow. One of the reasons is use them or lose them you know I, this was another part of the conversation with Stuart J Hooper who you should have on the program and I think that that would be a really good fit and he could explain it even better than me but think about it you know Putin out of anything you know he's got his oligarchs in his country he's got people everywhere you know they have their investments in private groups etc but as of now he has the nukes right and I'm not saying he would nuke these people but he's also got airstrike capabilities where the Wagner group had none and, you know, there's obviously the, the relationship with uh, Lutashenko, the uh, Belarusian president mm. who knows both of these guys. I honestly think it was a big for your britches dick swinging contest at, at the end of the day. Prigozhin wised up and said, hey, I'd like to live out the last 15 or 20 years of my life. And he backed off. Now, what comes next you know, Putin said that he's going to let these guys live in Belarus. I would expect that in the next six months, a lot of accidents are going to happen. Well, you know, <laughs> I, I, I'm with you on that one. I was always wondering, um, I'm wondering about how much of this, I guess we'll know how much of this was real, uh, how much, to what degree, based on how many people are still alive in 10 years from now. When I, li <laughs> when I listen to people like Colonel Douglas McGregor, who has been one of the, the him and uh, Ritter, I, I've been listening to them almost exclusively to balance out what we've been getting from the mainstream media here in the West. That, and when the Saker blog was still up and running, it's been frozen out now. I don't know where to find it anymore. But um, Douglas McGregor, he, uh, he takes a little bit more of a sober interpretation of things. That Prigozhin is a melodramatic figure who loves to stir the pot, and last weekend was more of a protest to finish the war decisively, that they were that they were upset that this was being so surgical, that uh, that they should have steamrolled this and been done with it. Um, but the the language of Vladimir Putin um, that it was only ca and he and he was saying that it's only being categorized as a coup by the West, who wants to portray that there is growing instability in Russia, that by all measure is only getting stronger economically, militarily, strategically, all that stuff. But the language that Vladimir Putin uses is pretty severe. 
Um, and it's not only not only did he angrily call last Saturday treason, that's his words, but then he said that the people behind this would be brought to justice. So the real question is, who is behind it if not Prigozhin himself? And if he was carrying water for someone else, why on earth would he ever get a pardon? I mean, that, that's, um, that, that's, that's the biggest question I have with, uh, with this entire thing because, um, you know, he's speaking straight from, uh, I don't know, if Putin is speaking straight, then there is someone bigger than, there's something going on bigger than the frustration that Prigozhin and some people in the, the Wagner uh, company and his men uh, at play here. There's something bigger at play than just Wagner. Well, let, me, let me interject really quickly because I think that's where the, the strike itself comes into play, right? The allegations by Prigozhin that his troops were targeted by the Russian military. If that is indeed the case, and that was not Putin's intention, that is pretty treasonous that you took out basically your own soldiers. So that may be the angle. Um, again, that may be completely internal, or uh, you know, Putin did allude to foreign interference. He believes it's something more. So on that level, I think he could bring those people to justice. So, so in other words, if they have the conversation, and you know, Fergusian's like, "No, you bombed me, motherfucker." And, and another thing that we talked about. Um, with Stuart J. Hooper, what if that strike was close to home? What if that was like within a mile or two miles where Prigozhin was, and he didn't only view it that they were taking out uh, his soldiers, but they were trying to kill him too, mm -hmm. right? They didn't like his boisterousness. So if that was done under the direction and some covert program that Putin was unaware of, because he's denying that you know they even did that, right? That would be treasonous. You know, again, let's see how it plays out. The other thing is, you know, I, I'm not cocksure about this one, and I always tell people, look, I, I don't know the culture. I've never been there. I don't speak the language. Um, largely what is interpreted are through other talking heads and what I can see with my own eyes. I, You know, I'm not sure. But uh, I don't think this story was completely contrived, and I don't think it's anywhere from over. Um, moving on from there, we're making great time. Um, th this is... Obviously, yeah, it's wait and see. Hurry up and wait when it comes to Ukraine, and and hor and uh, hor horrifyingly enough, it keeps getting more and more nuclear. The discussions, especially the, all the 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 shadow puppetry over here with the bipartisan senatorial front between Lindsey Graham and the uh, snakeskin man from Connecticut, and and you know uh, we're just gonna have to wait on that one. But um, before we go. Let me hear what you have to say. Any more uh, expanded thoughts about John Lennon uh, as far as the assassination may have having. My question is, what do you think is, is at play here? If there is more than one person firing the shot there, why does John Lennon have to go? What kind of a ritualistic killing was there that it was very important that it never expanded out beyond just Mark David Chapman? You know, why did it have to be just that? Because I want to tie it in to RFK Jr. RFK, um, speaking of assassinations, I love RFK Jr. campaign RFK. I love it. I, I love the real talk. I, it's nonstop. He's talking MK Ultra. He just broke down how Sirhan Sirhan was not his father's killer, play by play. He's talking physical fitness. He's talking. He's attacking pharma. The I mean, the odds of winning are stacked against him. 
big time, but I love the media tour that he's on right now. And when I'm listening to him describe how it wasn't Sirhan Sirhan that killed his father, I'm starting, you know, that there is a, a second gunman that came in and, and made sure the job was finished. And then I started thinking about John Lennon, now a second gunman we're hearing about all these decades later. What do you think is going on between all this stuff? You know, I think David Whelan has done a bang up job. You know, let's since we've only got a little bit of time, let's shift gears just from the second gunman theory. But he finds three eyewitnesses that say that the reality is that John Lennon was shot from the front, not the back, like they say with Chapman, in a tight pattern right around his heart and his chest. That's number one. Let's start there. But then let's talk about Mark David Chapman himself. This is a guy that, you know, they talk about him being in security, right? And that's how uh, he knew about his guns, and that's how he was able to shoot the guy so well and, and basically kill him on the spot. Although it's not on the spot because Lennon also makes his way into a building and by most accounts doesn't die on the street. In fact, there's some people that don't think he was even shot on the street at all. He was shot as he approached inside. Uh, Yoko Ono, who was there, you know, Whelan is very careful to go through her separate accounts, but ha has never said that she saw Mark David Chapman shoot him. Now, Chapman did some time in a hospital, seemed to be some mental issues. Then out of nowhere, he works at that same hospital that he was in as a janitor. Then as being a janitor, he goes on a, a world tour. He travels all over the world. Where do you get all this money to travel all over the world as a janitor after being a mental patient? But somehow he does that. Um, Whelan and I discuss both his wife and another individual who he believes may have been involved in handling this guy. When he's taken to jail, the first doctor that talks to him is literally an MK Ultra doctor. The, the rabbit hole that I went down with David Whelan, and that video is available free. It's not behind any paywall. I encourage people to check it out. Um, it is absolutely astounding. The guy has done his homework. Uh, why would they do this? John Lennon was a very, very anti-war figure. You know, he, he was akin to one of those last cultural icons of a Martin Luther King Jr. or even a Kennedy, and he kind of crossed the barrier because he was a pop star. Right. And people realized that that type of celebrity influence uh, was huge. So obviously that would be motivation. He was taken on the war machine. He was taken on the FBI. He was taken on the, the globalists and the people behind population control. And he was peace, uh, uh, preaching peace and love. I know there are a lot of people out there. He's a one war worlder and blah, blah. The guy wanted peace around the world. You know, everybody goes to imagine. I want to remind people. They banned Imagine post 9-11 on a ton of radio stations because they wanted people to think in more of a quote-unquote patriotic or jingoistic manner so that they could wage the war of terror on the Middle East. You know, they didn't want messages and songs like that. Uh, whether or not at the, at the end of the day, uh, you may disagree with him there, this was a guy that was about love, not death. He was about the expansion of humanity, not the elimination of it. Uh, it's all very, it, it it really does go on and on for miles and miles, it does. And and Jason, I feel like we, we always go miles deep when we get together and do these shows, and if it weren't for certain time constraints, we could have gone on for another two hours, but um, let's just have you back next month at some point, we'll squeeze you in somewhere, and uh, let everybody know where you're going to be live on your, your many 
you're, you're, you have a uh, encompassing weekly broadcast schedule. Where are you going to be live next? How can people keep up with you? Well, probably in about 15 minutes, I'll be live in the park with my dog. Nice. My walk and talk, telling people uh, about the morning show, which is Monday through Thursday over at redvoicemedia.com. Or you can go to you know any of my pages, Rumble, Rockfin. We do it two hours, 9 to 11 a.m. Eastern, Monday through Thursday. And then Monday through Friday at 6 p.m., I'm on ampnews.us. Uh, the blazer behind me, I wear it. I put on a, you know, I don't wear a tie. But I'm pretty, I'm pretty cleaned up for that show, and that's more of a, you know, new straight news, choreographed, uh, still no script. Listen, man, this is teleprompter free TV. I'm not reading off any prompter, none of that Johnny nonsense, and and an uh, interview show. And we are talking about the hard topics, and you know, I don't always have people on that I agree with, and I think that's okay. Uh, I, there are a lot of viewpoints on that show sometimes that I completely disagree with. And I just, I, I shake my head at, but at the same time, I'm a free speech guy, right? And I also want to know what the uh, pulse of the nation is, of other viewpoints, of other people. And hopefully, if those people are way off, I can help bring them around through conversation, right? Through reaching out. And instead of being adversarial, instead saying, hey, let's take a look at this. Let's, let's rethink it. Let's use a little discernment and let's try to fix it. You know, because if we don't have the real situation, if we're trying to fix things that aren't there or we're going after boogeymen or there's no accountability, how are we going to make real change, Frank? You're right. You're right. And as far as free speech goes, you can say whatever you want around me, Jason, but just do not call me notorious. (laughs) All right, man. You have yourself you have yourself a great night. and We'll talk to you soon. Later on, brother. All right. Take it easy. There he goes. Jason Burmis. And that is. uh, That's all she wrote. All right, we're going to be right back. Really quick intermission, and then uh, Chris Ann Hall will be joining us in about five minutes from now. Don't go anywhere. BRB. It's intermission time, folks. Time out to press the like button. Thank you. Quite frankly. 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 Quite frank
Let's get to some uh, super chats real quick, and I'm going to bring Chris Ann Hall in in just a couple of minutes. It's 8:17 on my end. Let's see. Um, into the super chats. C. Abate says they took out Hendricks, also afraid of his popularity and connection to Panthers. Dan Schumann says, hey, Frank, watching you is like eating meatloaf, mashed potatoes, and gravy. Nothing better. I love you. Damn, you got me hungry now. There is meatloaf, mashed potatoes, and gravy is really a a beautifully hearty meal. And I love a good meatloaf. That's a wonderful compliment, Dan. Thank you. Meatloaf, meatloaf, double beatloaf. Okay, let's see here. Um, let's see. Oh my gosh. Stostube, thank you so much. Uh, AK says, Katie Sky and I are on a quest. She wants the book. I want to get my hand on Matt's notes. I'd go down. I'd go. Okay. In, I would go down with him in a shitty submersible any day. Sounds romantic. I uh, love you, Frank, and to my darling Katie Sky for the quest. Well, there you go. She wants to go down in a submersible with Matt. Wants the notes. Okay, so, oh, I see what's going on here. There's teams forming. If she wins the book, she's going to give the book to Katie. You know, whatever. Your, your, your vote only counts once. And you can gift your gift to whoever you want, I guess. But just know, everybody, you see what you see what's going on there? Teams are forming. So if you want to start creating raffle collectives, how do we fight against this? Maybe don't tell anybody? I don't know. That that's uh, I don't know if that's skeevy or not. I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen. There's somebody out there that has two, one more vote than you do. I don't know how to fight against that. Stostube. Stostube, thank you so much, my friend. Jonathan says an urgent letter awaits the king in his inbox. Great show. Thanks, Frank. Thank you, Jonathan. An urgent letter awaits the king in his inbox. Who's that? The Sentinel from Theta says, great show. Jason has great energy. Notorious is not a flattering word to people who have a wide vocabulary. You know, I mean, that's the other thing there. You talk about a lawyer. I mean, vocabulary is everything. Because the definition of words can drastically change a case, can drastically change a contract. So, I mean, I think of Notorious and I think of, uh, I think of Biggie Smalls. And it's kind of just like a cool thing to say, oh, here he comes. Here he comes. Mr. Notorious over here. And, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's, you know. But if you're going to throw that at a lawyer, they're probably going to be like, excuse me? WTF? You want to uh, pick your words better, mister? Little stiff. They're a little stiff. My God. 
I, I mean, if Jason was able to actually get to the um, the Epstein question at the end, I would have been I would have been really shocked if Notorious tipped it off. But yeah, like you said, whatever. Incompetent hands. Hello, incompetent hands. Says one year ago today you went on Timcast. Oh, you're right. Holy shit, you're right. The twenty eighth. One year ago today you went on Timcast and I asked if he got a haircut by the same uh the same Ruski at the Palisades Mall. Good times, Frank. We're working a lot more now, but quite frankly it's still appointment uh still appointment viewing. Please make a scary shirt with Winston on it. I don't know if I can do that, but we'll see what I can do for you. Incompetent Hands. I'll always remember that name, Incompetent Hands, because of that night on Timcast. Even if it's the only night I was ever there, it was, uh, it was a, a great time. They were all very accommodating at uh, the compound. And shit, that means it's a day. It's a year, a year ago that my mother passed out and broke her nose. She was only a, she was halfway down the hall from Skip, who was still in the hospital. Um, things started getting really, so I'm, I'm heading down, and, and Lauren and Aurora were just still recovering from whatever kind of flu they had, so I was leaving them behind for a day, though they were in a lot better shape than they were 36 hours prior. Ah, uh, that was just rough. That was rough. But uh, it's still a good time. And incompetent hands. I was like, yeah, one of the Franklies got through. Tim didn't even know what the hell he was reading. I wonder if that's why I haven't been asked back. Because uh, somebody <laughs> somebody goaded him into uh, talking about hair. Anyway, uh, Super Happy says, Norwood was right, Frank. Your show is phenomenal. The double header with Mickey Willis and Forrest Moretti is a great example. Looking forward to hearing from Jason Burmas tonight. Uh, yeah, well, we have... Chris Ann Hall's on the other end of this, and we're going to, you know, we're, we're going to go to her right now, actually. I want to go to Chris Ann Hall um, because it is 823, and I want to spend at least 25 minutes with her so that we get some good discussion in, and we are not shortchanged, and I'll do the rest of the Super Chats on the other end of it. Chris Ann Hall, oh, it's so, it's so phenomenal to see you again. How have you been? I've been great. I've been missing you guys for for real, man. It's just it's too long between our visits. <laughs> I know, I know. The, the, well, too long since the last one. That is for certain. And but what it was is, I did not catch it myself. But word got around that you were on with uh, Alex Jones yesterday. You were on Infowars. Yeah, I was. Yeah, was in he, studio even. Oh, you were in. Was he hosting? Yeah. So tell us about that. What did you guys talk about? All the SCOTUS stuff or something else? Uh, no, we talked about um, the, gosh, what did we talk about? Now, my husband and I were both on there. You know, my husband's uh, an expert on Russian history, Russian politics. So Alex really, really grilled him on everything that's happening in Ukraine, Russia, and, and with all of the crazy insurrection that, that happened. Um, and then he asked me about, constitutional issues about presidential authority the president spreading money around you know that that kind of thing you are you aren't you a russian linguist or was that jc as well 
No, we we both are. Uh, that's actually how JC and I met. He was my Russian instructor. He was my Russian teacher, and I was the teacher's pet. Teacher's pet. <laughs> oh, that worked out. That's great. Yeah. So okay. So yeah. So yeah. But he's much. He, this is really his thing, right? Uh, he's he's been studying politics and geography and history of Russia for over th- for nearly thirty years now. So. That that that's his thing. If you want to know what's really happening, and not from just from a geopolitical perspective, but from a Russian perspective, my husband's the guy. So so he's I... been doing a couple shows on my uh, Rumble channel lately, and he did one on this. So whenever Prigozhin and all that, well, yeah, the Prigozhin stuff with with Putin. Whenever there's a a a, a public address that's streamed. Uh, are you guys in a position where you don't need to go anywhere else for a translation? You can, uh, like JC, can just sit back. He knows he he doesn't. Right. There's nothing lost in translation. He knows dialectic. He knows all the cultural lingo. Yeah. Okay. That's that's. Yeah, what... and that's why he's able to really get a perspective that most people in America are denied because you're really you're a prisoner to whoever's doing the translating, and then it's translated twice, right? It's translated from Russian to English, and then from English to media, because the media has their own spin on it. So you get you get at least two spins on it, or JC is able to actually listen to it in Russian, understand it in Russian, and he understands the politics and the Russian psyche behind it. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's a, uh, a, that is something I'm gonna have to tap you guys on the shoulder a little bit more for then. Um, yeah. Because it is all just, it, it's, you know, blinding speed now as far as the, as far as the way that things are evolving, devolving, whatever the hell it right. is, and, and 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 whereas you can't trust state media from anybody, especially our own, uh, it is good to know the translator a little bit more and to know that they don't have any ulterior motives of their own. So that would be that. That's really great. As far as what's going on here domestically, uh, the, yeah. su- the Supreme Court. I wanted to do a lightning round with you because it seems like they're trying to get a lot of. Actually, big- I made some myself some cheat cheat sheet because I don't didn't know I didn't know how this was going to go down. I know if you were going to throw me uh, more vus, and I'm be like, because uh, I don't do well with names, but I-, I wrote down a little cheat sheet so I know the names to go with the topics. Well, let's start with yesterday. Um, this is from CNN. The Supreme Court rejects controversial Trump-backed election law theory. Now, uh, Trump-backed, far-right, election law theory, everybody has zeroed in on theory. So I don't know the details here, but the coordinated messaging about theory instead of case, and a case or you know whatever, um, they're not trying a case here. They're, they're trying to test a theory. Can you tell us about what was decided yesterday and, uh, and, and what we need to know? Well, I actually did a 15-minute presentation on it on my podcast on Rumble and Instagram and LinkedIn and Facebook. So if you want to have the whole skinny on this, you can. But basically, this is politics masquerading, to steal from, from Clarence Thomas, politics masquerading as constitutional law. And so what you have is, and, and now I have to sort of preface this, and I know we're in a lightning round, so I want to make this quick. I want to preface this with, if you want to really understand this particular case, you're going to have to extract yourself from political party, political ideology, and the campaign of, of personality politics. Because if you're stuck in any of those things, 
then you're not going to be able to uh, to hear the truth about this case, right? Because the Republicans have taken a hard line on this, the Trumpers have taken a hard line on this, and the Democrats have taken a hard line on this. And this is going to be one of those cases where people are going to be like, what's Chris Ann doing? She's siding with the Democrats. No, I'm not siding with the Democrats. I'm siding with the Constitution. So what they're talking about is not a Trump political theory, but it's a long-standing, erroneous, destructive theory called the independent state theory. And basically, this hinges on Article 1, Section 4, Clause 1 of the Constitution that says that the time, place, and manner for uh, establishing elections will be uh, will be handled by the state legislature. So the independent state theory says that because Article 1, Section 4, Clause 1 says that the time, place, and manner of elections of the House and the Senate will be arranged by the state legislature, the independent state theory sets up a further, uh, well, a sort of myopic view that the Article 1, Section 4, Clause 1 establishes that the state legislators are the only authority that they have unfettered, unchecked, unchallengeable authority to create election rules and laws. The state courts cannot even engage in check and balance of these state-created election laws according to the independent state theory. Now, what that does is completely ignores and what they'll say our founders never intended for the legislators to be challenged in their authority to create election laws well if that were the case then there would be no such thing as a check and balance to say that the legislators can create election laws unchecked by the judicial state judiciary is to say that there's no such thing as checks and balances and so that's contrary antithetical to everything constitution. So consequence number one of the independent state legislation theory is that the people, no matter who they are, red, blue, Republican, Democrat, libertarian, whatever, have no right to sue the state legislators when they make unconstitutional election rules and, and laws. And when you say unconstitutional, you say unconstitutional according to the state constitution, not, not the federal? State- state well right state constitution right right okay okay because what it does do is it creates the only avenue to sue the state legislators is in federal court so that's consequence number two so what this what this does the independent state theory uh independent state legislative theory it what it does is it makes every aspect of elections federal and not state. They got you. So the only thing that can happen is the state legislators make the rules and the laws, but the regulation of those are only handled at the federal level and the people of the state have no check and balance over it. And that's why the independent state legislative theory is actually antithetical and unconstitutional because it takes away from the people's power over their own legislators 
and consolidates all election activity in Washington, D.C. Hey, let me ask you a question. Does this create any kind of useful um, uh, um, predicate or precedent for people to create lawsuits in a state like Pennsylvania where their state legislature was completely cut out of the mix of making uh, uh, election laws, uh, election day laws in the lead up to 2020? Yeah, actually, it what this does is it says, yes, the states do handle the check and balance of election integrity. So the state courts are now the first step in check and balance. So what has to happen, obviously, is that the people of the state have to have a, a real sort of finger on the pulse of their own judiciary yeah see frank this is the this is the dirty aspect of constitutional republics right the constitutional republic design is so that the people rule over their government and not the government rule over the people that's why we're not a democracy we're a constitutional republic but the dirty aspect of being a constitutional republic means that the people actually have to be government. They actually have to be involved in government. They actually have to care about government more than once every four years or once every two years. And in a constitutional republic, the sad story is, and the sad truth is, people get the government they actually deserve. I think that it's also really, because um, as you said, the, the details, I was just going to wait until I had you on because the messaging in the media just seemed oh, yeah. very coordinated and weird. But it makes sense there, too, because all it's really saying is that the, the, the state, the state uh, judiciary is there to apply the state constitution as necessary to whatever is going right. on inside and, and if and if there's something about the the law in the state that you want to change then you have to go through the state's constitutional amendment process and then you, the court will have to abide by that instead that oh, i i am that makes a lot of sense that makes and uh, here here's the thing frank because a lot of people are like well this is just the democrats you know trying to fight um mapping and of course and is. equitable voting or whatever but here's the thing right your state legislators in today's politics the reality is is controlled by the majority political party so if you live in a red state your legislators are going to create election laws and rules that favor their political party and that's why the Republicans right now, because this is what Trump is trying to use, this independent state legislative theory, to actually kick the courts out of the equation in blue states so that everything goes federal, right? Well, here's the thing. If you live in a red state and you fight for independent state, uh, independent state legislative theory, you will get the laws you want be while your legislators are majority red. Yeah. But California wasn't always blue. So your red state can easily flip blue and the and the rules and regs you put in the favor of the legislators when they were red are now going to be re- used against you by the blue legislators majority. 
Point taken. That's why we have to stay neutral in these things. We have to stay constitutional and not political. Yeah, and I, I think that the, the real problem is because all of these conversations are had in little bites in the media, uh, there aren't there aren't deeper, more meaningful dives into the, the context of the case and then, of course, the context of the law state by state or on a federal level. It's just, oh, the Democrats are trying to undercut Republicans in some way, so it must be a sham. Uh, but uh, but let's, let's be honest, if there are tools inside the, uh, of the state or federal constitution that can be used, they're going to use it. And I mean, they have no problem using the constitution or going around it if they want to get something done. So there are just sometimes they're going to be walking parallel to the law and other times they're going to undercut it and just not give a shit. So um, it's good that we had this. Now, going from there... It's ludicrous. It's ludicrous, Frank, to assume that a state legislature can make any rule or regulation outside state constitution. Because what you're really saying is the contract, the state contract that created the legislative body in this particular aspect of their job doesn't govern over them. Hmm. Yep. They have to be accountable to the very document that created them or they're not accountable at all. It's also a good test of how willing you are to actually do this republic thing. I mean, uh, we we always obviously the big shiny Bingo. the big shiny goal or the big shiny object is Washington D.C. the 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 glitz and glamour of federal government and all that stuff. But um, if you if you can't make checks and balances work on a local level then how the hell uh are you how are you going to make something in dc that's already been mutated beyond anything that it was mandated for it's it's a it's a great great point um now for something that's a little bit more obvious we have student debt let's roll this all together student debt relief um tell me your (laughs) tell me your nutshell thoughts on whether or not it will be legal to um, to go in there and relieve debt that should have never been given in the first place, or uh, okay, and then tell me about affirmative action. Let's roll these two together. Oh, what a tangled web we weave, right? <laughs> <That's> ridiculous. <laughs> Why do we talk about money? You know, forgiving the debt of money that they should have never been able to give. That's right. that's really that that's the that's the the core of the argument there. They. First off, because you know already, Frank, where I'm coming with, number one, if the Supreme Court is going to take a truly constitutional perspective, which is what they're charged to do by their entire commission, right, then they'll have to say, look, there's no authority in that rests within the federal government to give away and, and fund education, to give student loans, right? And so, but they're not going to do that because the federal government gives out way too much money, way too many grants, way too many subsidies. And there is no way short of some apocalyptic miracle that the Supreme Court's going to sort of reel that back in, right? Right. So the key issue here in debt forgiveness is going to be this. Does the executive branch have the authority to forgive what the legislative branch has established as a loan. Because you have two conflicting uh, um, branches of government now. 
And if the Supreme Court does what I suspect they will do, and this is really not just a Supreme Court thing, this is watching their trends because this current Supreme Court is really focused on limiting the branches of government to its specific job. And I say by example, um, the EPA case where the Supreme Court recently said to the EPA, um, you're not allowed to do things to make up rules and expand your authority beyond what Congress has specifically enumerated in your regs. So if Congress didn't give you this particular instruction, didn't give you this particular authority, EPA, you can't do it. Completely undermining the way the EPA was running the Clean Air Water Act. So this is a trend, and I just gave you that as a specific example. If that trend stays true, then what will have to happen is the Supreme Court will say, no executive branch, you don't have the authority to forgive this. The only body that has the authority to forgive this is the legislative branch. So the legislative branch, they can't. Well, let's just go back to the, the, the loan itself. They, uh, As far as issuing loans, I, I can't imagine that we're, I mean, we, we had joked about it. Can they issue loans for certain things? If so, what? Well, Okay, can they? Yes, because we continue to allow them to because people like to have free stuff, right? Constitutionally, absolutely not. There's no authority that rests in Article 1, much less Article 2, that allows the federal government to give out money. And quite interestingly, Frank, James Madison stood before the House of Representatives when he was James Madison, uh, U.S. Rep for his district in Virginia in 1792, and specifically said that Congress has no authority to hand out money. That's for the cod fisheries, right? Yeah, that was the cod fishery bill, yes. Yeah, and so I guess, again, this goes back to the Supreme Court is acting from a standpoint where these bad habits are just established law now. There was no uh, uh, amendment that allows Congress to issue these loans, whatever, but uh, if they say that that isn't, they make some kind of a statement where that is not allowed, then what happens to Social Security? What happens? Oh, yeah, yeah, the whole thing. I mean, farm subsidies, you know, any kind of educational grants to universities and and I mean, we do business grants and, and entrepreneur grants and patent grants. I mean, we, we hand out money like tomorrow and like there's no tomorrow. Not to mention, not to like muddy the waters here, but let me just throw out there, there's no constitutional authority for the federal government to hand out our money to other countries. Uh-huh. So that all goes away. So that that's that's not that's not going to happen. The Supreme Court's not going to do that. But what we have to understand and what you mentioned is bad habits is actually really bad precedent. Precedent and I've talked we've talked about this in detail on your show Frank. So you remember Joseph Story wrote his treatise on the Constitution in 1830 which establishes this 
this philosophy that leads up to the the uh, Wicker cases that you know. I mean, you know about the marijuana cases, right? Wicker Philburn. No, I don't remember. I don't know anything about this. We should okay. do it. So basically, what happened was we used to grow hemp, and the government used to actually subsidize the production of hemp especially during the war for rope and it was cheap cotton and all this stuff. So the government would get tell farmers and give farmers money to create hemp and to create, um, uh, to grow wheat and stuff like that. Well, in this particular case, we have uh, a hemp farmer and a wheat farmer. Um, particularly the wheat farmer decides he's going to grow just simply for himself. But the government now wants him to stop growing. And so the government says to him, okay, we've subsidized this. We've told farmers what they can and cannot grow. You can't grow this, even if it's just for yourself. Well, the argument was, how does growing for myself affect commerce? Because the federal government always says, the Commerce Clause allows us to regulate commerce, which gives us the authority to tell farmers what they can and cannot grow. This farmer said, my wheat that I grow for myself never enters into the commerce stream because it's just mine. So you, don't, you can't claim authority over my wheat because it's not commerce. The Supreme Court came in and said, now this is another one of those politics pretending to be constitution thing. They did this whole judicial uh, uh, acrobats and contortion. And the, the bottom line was this, because you're growing for yourself, you're not purchasing from the market. So your growth for yourself affects commerce. Therefore, what you grow for yourself actually invokes the Commerce Clause for the government to regulate. Lawyers it. have ruined the world. Lawyers yeah, have yeah, yeah. ruined the world. Yeah. So that's that's how they get. Wow. That's how they're able to give out money because they're regulating commerce by actually promoting putting money into commerce. It, that it, it, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I get you. I get you. And James Madison warned about it in 19 in, in 1792. That's just it's just incredible. We should do the cod fisheries. I I should read through that again one night. I think I did that the last time I read through the key parts of the cod fisheries uh act response by James Ma James Madison was maybe three or four September 17th ago on Constitution oh, yeah. Day. It was very, yeah. it was, it was interesting. And I think it's, uh, it, it's, it's about time for that again. So affirmative it, action, affirmative action that, that they talk about people are arguing that this should have had a sunset clause on it. It should have never been given. Um, but you know, do you think that this is going, do you think of, I guess the shortest answers you can give, do you think affirmative, affirmative action is finally going to go away? And um, and also the LGBT uh, web designers in Colorado. It's either web designers or bakers in Colorado. They're all getting their arms twisted. What do you think yeah. the court is going to do for both of them real quick? Well, I think two different things, actually. I think this court is more inclined to uphold a decision in favor of religious individual religious liberty 
Um, but remember, you have a commerce thing, right? And we've talked about this, and I've done a whole program on this on my own, um, this misconception of what a public business is. Just because you open your doors to customers doesn't make you a public business. The difference between public and private is public is paid for with tax dollars, private is paid for with personal dollars. If your personal dollars have built your company, it's a private business subject to the rights and regulate in the rights and rules of private property. So um, I think that they'll be able to carve out some kind of of I don't know narrow a narrowly tailored kind of opinion to support religious liberty in this uh, this court seems to do that I wouldn't expect anything from Amy Comey Barrett in favor of religious liberty because that's not her thing even though that's what we told we were told she would do she's not going to do that but I do believe that they will side with religious liberty and the independent business owner. But I don't believe that affirmative action is going away. And I, and I say this because in spite of the fact that this Supreme Court is doing everything it possibly can to, to eschew the appearance that they are politically motivated, they are politically motivated. I mean, that's the whole reason why they found that uh, Texas had no, Texas and Louisiana lacked standing in in the case where they were challenging the um, executive's refusal to enforce federal law. Yep. So that was really a sort of um, kickback to the Biden administration to say, hey, uh, stop stop picking on us and all our extrajudicial activities. Stop trying to expose all our friends and all our extra money sources. We're going to give you a little kickback here and, you know, make you happy with that. So I really think that um, I think what they'll do is they'll n do what they always do and narrowly tailor the decision in such a way that it has a minor impact in a very specific way, but does not create an overall platform for the elimination of affirmative action. Well, we're going to see. Apparently, this all has to be adjudicated before um, before this this break that they're going to go on right before Fourth of July. Right. So I guess we'll know within uh, days, if not hours. And Chris Ann, um, I know that you, you're doing a lot of teaching. You're doing a lot of media appearances. Still, you're you're always doing what you do. So where can people find you next? Well, uh, I will be in Dal. Uh, I will be in Plano, Texas. Oh wait, no, no, wait. I'll be in Philadelphia. Saturday and Sunday, JC and I are both teaching in Philadelphia Saturday and Sunday at the Moms for Liberty, which is a convention, which is going to be an incredibly interesting thing. They've already planned all kinds of riots and protests against us, you know, because we're whatever we're we're homophobe, we're um, 
racist all, all the isms all, all the isms all the ists all the isms we're all the isms so they're having gonna have a i don't know a strip party outside the hotel and a dance party to protest us and whatever i don't care but it's going to be very interesting one of the high, most highly contested events i've actually personally attended and then um the friday the seventh the shoot wait the 7th of July, I will be in Plano, Texas. And then the 8th of July, which is Saturday, I'll be in Dallas, Texas. And I might even be on Alex Jones again that week in studio in Austin. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, if you're there, tell him I but said hello. A, there's a rumor I might be in New Jersey this year. I was just going to say, you know, Philadelphia is less than three hours from me. I mean, you're already going to be a, a stone's throw away. Um, where, where are you spending the 4th of July? You're going to be back home for that? Yeah. That yeah my, my pastor would lose his mind if I was not in my church on 4th of July. <laughs> no, you got to be there. You have, you have yeah, to be there. Yeah. But, you're, you're, I mean, like you're... I feel like we're playing darts now and you are just you're popping up all around me closer and closer. There's a man running for sheriff in one of the New Jersey counties who's a constitutional sheriff. He's going to bring me into New Jersey to teach. Well, we got to keep in touch because maybe uh, maybe something will the stars will align here. And uh, and next time you're in Infowars studio, tell him tell Alex Jones that uh, this guy Frank from New York says hi. I will. I will. And is there a seat that sit next sits next to you? So when I pop up in, I've got, I can sit with you. I've got three. Did, didn't I? Didn't I ever give you the uh, the the tour here through the the swivel cam? Um, maybe I don't remember. Hold on. Here, wait a second. Where? What? Let me see what 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 view you have right now. Hold on. Uh, that's not. Anyway, here. So there is a. a you, that's, Look at that. So you're looking at the guest couch there, and then on the uh-huh. other on the other side of the room, by Old Glory, is two other ch- chairs. And then if you go, I'm going to take you all the way back toward me again, and then you're going to see to my left there is a corner throne that you'll be able to sit on too. So you have three. We got three. Well, we got plenty of seats for me and for and, JC, and maybe we could even get Colton to come in there. Absolutely, <laughs> Colton can sleep on the couch if he wants, and we still oh, have room. He's good at that. He's seventeen. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there's plenty here. There's plenty here. So you, we'll, we'll figure that out. I think that'd be a, a great day in the show's history. Everybody will be very excited. Is that a wig from your glam rock days? Oh no. That, yeah. Well, that's my uh, that's my my founding father's wig. When I get very oh, very okay. When I get very frisky, I put that on for a show. It's been a while. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, thank you for joining me tonight, Christiane. It's great to see you again. Thank you so much. God bless you guys. All right. Happy 4th. Or happy Independence Day, I should say. Okay. <laughs> happy Independence Day, which is July 2nd. Yes, that's why I had to I, I had to reel it back. Happy Independence Day, because we know July 2nd. All right. Good night. Good night. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. All right. Before we go, um, I want to do, I think we're going to bleed over anyway. Because I have to get some things out of the way. Uh, we have a badass to do, and I have a couple of other super chats coming in here. So let's do it. Uh, let's see. Um, Stostube says, Frank, just had to drop an additional super chat. Great guest tonight. Always love when Chris Ann Hall is on. Also, would like to thank Justin, Jamie, and the team. Yes, for the birthday love. Uh, loving the Yes Cacao. Loving the Yes Cacao, wonderful company. They're wonderful people. I was wearing a Yes Cacao shirt 
the the day that I held Aurora for the first time, that periwinkle, I don't know, lavender yes cacao shirt. I mean, when it's when when it's time to go to the hospital, it's just time to go. You don't put on your Sunday best. Although uh, yes, cacao shirts are my Sunday best many times. Uh, Wendy Wendy Mahoney says, "Thanks for being reliably humorous, Francis. I think tonight we had a good blend of humor." I think it was a good one tonight. I'm glad that you liked it, Wendy. Let's see. Uh, going down to Super Happy. Says Norwood was right. I got that from Super Happy. I'm really happy about that one. Thank you, Super. Dan Schumann says, hey, Frank, watching you was like eating meatloaf. I got that one, too. But I love reading it again. Uh, there's AK. Uh, pretty much conspiring against the rest of the people who are in the running for the book. Stostube, Jonathan, Sentinel, Incompetent Hands. Super happy says, Nor- oh, wait, wait, what am I getting this? Why are they all repeating? All right, well, I hope I got everybody because it, it seems like they're all repeating and I don't want to keep saying the same thing over and over again. On Rumble, let's see the rants here. I got a couple. Poso for Hope says, we have been held hostage by MSN our entire lives. Yes. Pakistan grants for gender studies. Now, I don't know why that is all that is from Enable Large History. Let me see. What is large history? I don't know why that's all that is there of the chat history on the, quite frankly, Rumble. So if there are other Rumble rants, I can't see them. I'm telling you, Rumble, there are some things that they have got to get together. They must get together. Um, well, anyway, everybody, if you can, if you're on Rumble and on YouTube, before you leave, please like the episode. The like, it's so important. It's the best thing you can do to contribute tonight to the to the big picture. On the foxhole, thank you to Khaleesi, Pam D, Robert Sarns, Matt1776, as the iPhone app now has push notifications. DM Matt1776 a picture of the notification on your Android or iPhone for 100 gold pills. New great things at Foxhole. Always new stuff. I find it. Thank you. Paulie9363. Thank you. Says Biden said Putin is losing in Iraq. I saw that. Well, that's just because he wears a CPAP machine. That was a CPAP machine. It's CPAP brain. C- wait, wait. CPAP. CPAP. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Boys Blanc. Sean Joe and Boys Blanc again. All right, you guys are great. I'm going to release the scratching. And then we are going to go into our badass for the evening. Are you ready for this? I know I am. Don't. Wait, what are we doing? Here it is. That's some badass shit. It's pretty badass. Yes. And who is it? Who is it? Well, we're going to talk about it right now because I have two for you. I have two for you tonight because one, (laughs) one other one is really interesting too. This pilot shot down an enemy fighter with his 1911. When Army Air Force bomber pilot Owen Baggett was trying to take out a bridge in World War II at Burma, he ended up having to bail out in the skies over the bridge he landed in the history books. In March of 1943, this is from wearethemighty.com, 1943, Baggett 
and other airmen in his B-24 Liberator squadron were met by a baker's dozen of Japanese Zero fighters as they went over their target. Baggett's B-24 was hit numerous times in its fuel tanks, and Baggett and his crew were forced to bail out. Baggett, the co-pilot, covered their escape in the B-24's top gun turret, and he and the rest of the crew barely got out before the plane exploded. The deadly Japanese attack kept coming, however, attacking the pilots in their parachutes as they gently fell to earth. Baggett decided to play dead in his rig, trying to avoid getting strafed by a fighter plane. That is when one of the Zeros got a little too close. A Japanese pilot approached Baggett in his chute, with the Zero's nose up and near-stalled speed. The enemy pilot opened his canopy to get a look at the American Baggett, who was sneakily holding his M1911 M pistol, snapped up and angrily fired four rounds into the Zero's cockpit. The Zero spun to the ground. Is that true? I went and I checked up on this, and there's more than a few people who say that, yes, it is a thing of legend. We'll see. We'll see. Colonel Harry Melton, commander of the 311th Fighter Group, was also shot down that day. He said he saw the Japanese pilot's body, uh, pilot's body thrown clear uh, out of the downward plane and that the pilot was killed by a bullet to the head, not a plane crash. But Melton himself was killed on a ship that was sunk as it was headed toward Japan. If Baggett really did take down a fighter with a pistol, he would be the only person to ever shoot down an aircraft with a pistol. When Baggett hit the ground... The enemy pilots were still trying to strafe him. He hid behind trees until ground forces captured him. He spent two years as a POW in Rangoon, Burma. He was later rescued by OSS agents and stayed in a newly created U.S. Air Force after the war's end. Baggett retired from the Air Force as a colonel and later worked on Wall Street. He died in 2006 and firmly believed he was successful in shooting down the Zero with his 1911. Now, there is an honorable mention I want to put out there for you tonight. It's this man. His name is Thomas D'Alessandro. I don't know who he is. I'm sorry. I don't know who he is. Other than that, he seems to have money um, and a TikTok account. It appears to me, as this is going viral right now, that his home in California has recently been uh, burglared, burglarized. Staked out and burglarized, and he put out a $100,000 reward video that I think in itself is pretty badass. So take a listen to this. I am offering $100,000 for the return of my hard drive. I was robbed by a Chilean jewelry heist gang run by a dude named Brian Herrera Maldonado, according to the police. The hard drive that you guys took looks exactly like this. If you guys return this to me, I will give you a hundred grand and I will throw in another hundred grand if you let me fight any one of the four pussies that was in my home. Pick whichever one you want. You can have an attorney draft any kind of letter that you please, which I will sign and it will have a legally binding commitment that I will not press charges. As you know, from looking at the hard drive, it's just five years of photos of me with my children. They're from 2008 to 2012. You probably thought it had banking info or you thought it was a crypto wallet. But when you looked at it, you realized it's just a dad and his kids. Hopefully, for your sake, you didn't throw it away because if you did, that would suck for you. I know that you are all pathetic cowards. 
all four of you ran the minute I stepped into the house. And I know it must suck knowing that you are incapable of actually earning a living. And it must feel horrible that you know you aren't real men. I'm giving you a chance to get 200 grand in cash. You are pathetic punks. Come and prove me wrong and get paid. You know who I am from the hard drive. I'm in SoCal. It won't be hard to figure out which little cell of your losers has this EHD. Have one of your loser friends drop off a letter with next steps in my backyard. You seem to know it well as the police tell me you case these homes for days. Get to it and let's do this. I think that's, that's, that's pretty, that's something else. I think it's real. It's the only thing I know. I saw it today and I grabbed it. I said, okay, well, um, this is going to be the badass runner up. And I don't have TikTok, but I ha- I have to try to find a way to keep up with this story to see how it all ends. So um, thank you, everybody, for hanging out with me tonight. Thank you so much. Um, I have just received this from Abe and Cody on the on the network end of things. Tonight on QuiteFrankly.tv, starting in just a couple of moments after I end the show. So get over there right now. We are having, uh, we're launching Rabbit Hole Wednesday. And we're going down the John Lemon, John Lemon, John Lennon rabbit hole tonight featuring Jason Burmese's special, or B, I'm sorry, Jason Burmese's special on John Lennon from seven days ago. Uh, so it is both John Lennon with a little bit of the Paul is dead content sprinkled in with it. That is going to be the main feature of tonight's Rabbit Hole Wednesday programming on QuiteFrankly.tv. In the meantime, I just want to say, before you leave, like the broadcast wherever you're watching it, and I would really love to have any number of you who were on the fence about whether or not you want to sponsor the show to come and become a sponsor. It's so important to support independent media that you enjoy, so at the bare minimum, Give the episode a like, a thumbs up, share it, give it some uh, a really nice review on Spotify or iTunes. But everything that you want, that you could find on how to support this show is on quitefrankly.tv. There's a sponsor us page for those of you who would like to become a VIP supporter. I have spats, spots, spots open for postcard sponsors, for Polaroids, for pen pals, and all monthly pledges that are made, they get universal perks, including exclusive access to Sunday streams, book club access. They're all automatically included in monthly giveaways as well. The uh, the P.O. Box address is there. It, it would just be great to meet you all. You can become a sponsor for as little as $2 a month. And if just 7 to 10% of this audience did that, then uh, we would be unstoppable. And I thank you all so much for making this a a magical ride over the last, I don't know, 10 years that I've been doing just this show alone. No, 12 years. No, 13 years. This show alone. uh, alone. And um, and I, I can't wait to do another 13 and then another 13 after that. So you are the lifeblood of this program and everything else that branches out from it. Thank you. Thank you so much infinitely and eternally grateful and i'll see you tomorrow for what is going to be a fabulous finisher for the week with george nori as our guest of honor on the thursday night episode so good evening and good night i'll see you on quite frankly.tv talk to you
I'll catch you on the flip side. Quite frankly, it's filmed before a live studio audience. And now, our super chatter, starting with Stostube, Wendy, C. Abate, uh, Dan Schumann, A.K., Stostube, Jonathan, the sentient from Theta, Incompetent Hands, Super Happy, Dan Schumann, A.K., Stostube. See, it's starting to uh, repeat again. So, uh, thank you, everybody. And I, I cannot wait to see you all again tomorrow. No, wait. Oh, wait, there's more? No, 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 no. This is from yesterday. Okay. Oh, I was, I was nervous about that. All right, good night, everybody. Take it easy. <laughs>